0: Before we get started with today's show, let me tell you about another great ESPN podcast, the Dominique Foxworth Show. ESPN and Anscape contributor Dominique Foxworth's podcast is every Tuesday and Thursday, bringing his unique perspectives on football as we get ready for the NFL draft, the personalities surrounding it, and just about anything else he finds interesting or thinks you might. So check out the Dominique Foxworth Show. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. Gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Coming up on this episode of The Right Time, we got a lot of NBA playoff talk. Also, the news of the world, but first... All right, so like with these playoffs, I kind of like... I'm not even exactly sure where to begin. I feel like we had a rather robust, action-packed weekend. Like the things that would be difficult for me to actually get around to talk about. Like what's going on with Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers, for example. Don't know if we could get to that. Because it was so much that's going on. But I'm talking to you now on Monday morning. So I will start with Kings Warriors on Sunday. Which... I mean, that series has 100% delivered four exciting games. Not always the best played basketball, i just like to note A little bit sloppy out there. However, has that interfered with the entertainment value of it? It has not. Now, I want to take a brief moment to point this out right fast. We were this close to witnessing Steph Curry privilege. And what I mean by that is this, Steph did one of the dumbest things that I can think of anybody doing, which is calling that timeout when they did not have any timeouts. And it was wild because I was looking up at the screen and, you know, we got every factoid about the game right there in front of you where you can barely see the damn game anymore. But I was looking at the timeouts and I was like, oh, wow, the Warriors don't have any timeouts. That's wild. You know, like it seemed like a time when they would have timeouts. I could understand why maybe Steph thought they had timeouts. The the Kings had two, the Warriors had none. Steph- Bo they had one. Here's the thing. They had one and then they challenged that play on the on the Looney pick. And ah, so they lost the timeout there. Got it. But that second I looked up, it was at zero. And I was like, oh, that's a little weird. But anyway, they didn't have the timeouts. Steph called it. And, like, to me, very similar to how we step through that ridiculous behind-the-back pass in the finals and we don't really just give him a scarlet letter for that forever like we would for a whole lot of people. That timeout was about to be a problem. And as I'm watching it, I think it was Doris Burke on the call, and she was like, okay, but did they get the ball back? And I was like, "Oh, I don't think they get the ball back. And they didn't get the ball back. Right? Like, that was all set up for an epic playoff collapse that basically would have doomed them in all likelihood. Maybe this is a team that can still come back from a 3-1 deficit in the postseason, but going into that madhouse in Sacramento and looking at the way the Warriors have played, I wouldn't have put my money on that. It was right there, and they blew it. Like It didn't seem possible to me that Sacramento could come back, especially since Sacramento looks so panicked and hurried toward the end. Part of their problem is this, Sabonis will only take gimmies. Right? Like he shot 60 something percent from the floor this year. And normally, when you see guys who put up numbers like those from the floor, it's the DeAndre Jordans of the world. Like, I don't know if Mitchell Robinson is putting up 60 percent from the floor this year, but it's that type of player, Jared Allen. Basically, a dude that's just going to dunk. Right? Like, the ball is not going to come out of his hand unless his hand touches the rim. It's generally that sort of dude. Sabonis so has that sort of risk aversion, and it just seemed like the only shots he's willing to take are layups. The reason I bring that up is, if he's going to be your second best player, and he's going to play that close to the basket, you got to be able to get something out of him. They can't. So what that means is, under these circumstances, all the pressure's on De'Aaron Fox, and De'Aaron Fox is not that big. Like, putting the fate of your team late in a game in the hands of a small guard Is a lot to ask. A whole lot to ask. And we saw those plays toward the end where Fox is going to the basket and just getting his shit tossed. Because that's what happens to little dudes, right? But anyway, they managed to get that rebound with 10 seconds left, and they made a mistake. Sacramento did. They called that timeout. To me, if you got De'Aaron Fox, what's better? De'Aaron Fox in transition or De'Aaron Fox in the half court? My thought is De'Aaron Fox in transition. Like, I think they had their best chance to get it down the floor. They're only down by one. Get it down the floor. Try to get a bucket. If you can't get a bucket, try to foul. You got a timeout. You can advance it across half court. Maybe you can figure something out. All right. But they called the timeout right then. Okay. Bring it to half court. Okay. Draw up a play. Do we know if they drew up a play? It didn't look like they drew up a play. I don't know what they was over there doing, right? Like maybe somebody broke out the the, the juice packs. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know what they did when they were over there. I'm told they did draw up a play. And so Mike Brown, I give Mike Brown credit in the sense that he is a man who's aware of his limitations, shall we say. And he's been outsourcing a lot of stuff on offense for a while right Like toward the end of his time in Cleveland, um when they brought in Eddie Jordan with the Lakers to run the Princeton offense there, like that's what Mike Brown has typically done. He's a great defensive coach. offense ain't really his bag. It's very interesting though, in basketball, if you delegate the defense off to somebody, we don't really judge you for it. If you delegate the offense, we typically do anyway, I think the dude Jay Triano, who used to call coach the Raptors, he decided he's the guy they drew up to play. But it wasn't a play. It was give the ball to De'Aaron Fox. Do what you got to do to get a switch. To get Steph on him. And then go from there. So the Warriors had Draymond Green guarding De'Aaron Fox. But again. The Kings threw the ball into the backcourt. Presumably because they wanted to get Fox downhill. But if you wanted to get Fox downhill. Then just go. It don't matter if it's Draymond Green there. Just go. You can get by him. If there's a switch, you can get it to somebody else. Keegan Murray, he's been hitting shots. got Malik Monk. You got guys, right? Instead, what they did was Harrison Barnes is being guarded by Steph. Barnes goes and sets the screen to get the switch. So now they got Steph. And I was talking to an NBA Hall of Famer about this. And his whole thing was just go one 4 Don't introduce a screen. And the reason that you don't introduce a screen is because now you entertain the possibility of your best player giving up the ball. If they blitz that screen, for example, now you're doubled, you got to give the ball off. And so in the end, what happened was, Draymond's coming to help. Fox can't get to the right to get past Curry. And now you're asking Harrison Barnes to make the shot at the end of the game. Now, bless Harrison Barnes' heart. He's willing to take the shot. It's been that case since North Carolina. I just ain't seen him make a lot of them. But they had way too much time if all they were going to do was that, right? They could have run something that helped them leverage the fact that they did, in fact, have shooters on the floor. Instead, outside of Sabonis, like the two guys that you don't want shooting the ball from far away are the two that were involved in the action. Yeah, <laughs> bad play. They had their chance. If they lose this series, they lost it right there. They had their opportunity. And as much as I've been a person that said, hey man, Mike Brown, better coach than you give him credit for. Yes. However, that's why y'all don't be giving credit. Like the way they went at the end, that's why y'all don't be giving credit. But hey, shout out to this series. I understand a lot of you Kings fans and I don't entirely blame you for what I'm about to talk about. Because if I'm being honest, nothing is more pathetic than a thirsty, small market fan base. And what I mean by that is, it ain't enough for y'all to be good. Y'all require everybody to just be in love with this team as much as you. You clamor for our acceptance so bad. It's sports. Your team gonna win the games or not, right? Like, they're in a top 25 poll in the NBA, right? But I made the point, and it was a true one, man. The NBA don't want to see y'all out here. It don't matter how fun y'all are. It don't matter how much y'all be hitting the rock or whatever it is. The league does not want you messing up the money. I tried to make that point. I had people excuse me of being conspiratorial. I was being a little bit funny on here, saying that I need the Kings to just go ahead and eat that charge, say as they gun, so we could either get Lakers, Warriors, or Grizzlies Warriors, I didn't really mean it, but I wouldn't mind. Like just, just, just to be clear, you know, I enjoy watching you guys. I would like the blood feud though of Grizzlies Warriors. I would enjoy the LeBron Steph angle of Lakers Warriors. I admit that, but Kings fans are so thir- Man People saying all kinds of wild stuff about me, man. All kinds of wild stuff. I had this one cat, and his Twitter bio says um writer on the left and I can't remember exactly why he got mad at me but the first thing he said was about how in my career all I do is fail up and I'm like I'm sorry buddy I thought you said you were on the left you out here talking like them that's what small market fandom does to y'all we are enjoying the Sacramento Kings I want to be clear I'm loving this series shout out to Darren Fox not just h Tine, but if I'm not mistaken offside, it's all good stuff, right? I appreciate that. I do. But it sure feels like they blew it. So I think we're in a situation here where the winner of Game 5 is going to win the series, right? Like, that's where that, that's where I feel we are. Where's my man Shadid? So we can talk about we're now into our levels of the playoffs, okay? This is the pivotal Game 5. In Game 6... It will be someone's responsibility to stave off elimination, which will then lead us into perhaps do or die game seven. It all goes the same way. It all goes the same way. Uh... And some other stuff going on there in the West. I'm gonna try to do this where like I talk about the big thing, and then get to some little things. Cause there's just so much stuff that's going on in these playoffs right now, right? Like it's hard for me to 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 get to everything in it. I don't know where to begin with Kawhi Leonard because it's like if he got a sprained knee, he's got a sprained knee. It just don't feel like his compadres believe his knee that's sprained. I have no idea, but I feel more convinced than ever, healthy they would have won the championship, or at least won the West. Like, even in these games, they've kept it so close with Phoenix. Phoenix Phoenix has not looked encouraging, right? Denver has. And I understand that Denver is playing against Minnesota. So, like, let's not go too far about what you get out of beating them and they lost game four. But, uh, Dan, did you watch the end of game four? The Nuggets game, no, but I heard all about it. Your boy Carl Anthony Towns almost blew it. <sighs> Don't even get me started on that. If Jokic made a free throw, it was over. Yeah. It was one of two. Yeah, he, he missed that one, and it was in and out, right? Like, it wasn't like it was a choker. He just missed it. The thing about it was, and something I noticed with Mike Malone and the way he's dealing with this team is, do you realize I'm 42 years old? The Denver Nuggets in my life have never been a legitimate championship contender. Like, whoever you are that's listening to this right now, Think about that time the Nuggets were a legitimate championship contender. Not a team that you thought could make noise. A legitimate championship contender. I can't think of it. Like when they uh, got to the conference finals in 09, did you think they were a legitimate championship contender? I don't think they were that year. They weren't a legitimate championship contender when they had Iverson and Melo. They weren't with Mutombo. Not even in the 80s when they were just running up and down the floor faster than anybody else. This might be the first time that this team, since it joined the NBA, has been a legitimate championship contender. And I think a lot of us have a tendency to look at them as the Nuggets, as opposed to the team that has the best record in the West. When they were getting down late, and those were some big deficits, or they were down like 12 or something like that late in that game against Minnesota, they just came down there and got buckets. And it wasn't like it was heaves, it was like, oh, okay, guys. Time to stop playing around. Michael Porter Jr. was on it like that. Jokic was on it like that. These guys can't guard us. We're going to go down here and we're going to get buckets. And that's what they did, right? And they had the game. If Jokic, of course, makes both of those free throws, this game is probably over. And shout out to Anthony Edwards. My God. Like, if he, he is on that I have arrived. It is not that easy to arrive in a series where your team is going to lose and they are going to lose. But his arrival, I think, now is without question like the way that he has carried himself, surrounded by dudes that can't hold their water, and yes, that includes Carl Towns. And I just want every time Carl Towns has a halfway decent game, somebody wants to come up and ask me if I want to revisit what I've been saying about Carl Towns. Where the f*** are you right now? Where are you? I need to know that. Where are you? Do you realize that dude was the number one overall pick in the draft eight years ago, and you still waiting? No, he's a young guy. He ain't that young. Can't stop from fouling people. Out there heaving those threes. can Can't. Minnesota doesn't have anybody that can get an easy bucket. And that includes Anthony Edwards right now. At least he can't get easy postseason buckets. Like he was making those threes and getting his shots and everything else. But what worried me about him, in spite of all the things I'm saying about his arrival, is he wasn't looking at none of them other dudes, and I can't blame him. It shouldn't be that. They should be a team that's running like Anthony Edwards, Carl Towns, two-man game, the way the Nuggets are doing that with Murray and Jokic, right? They should be unstoppable in that regard, but the problem is Carl. And I just don't know why it is that there are so many people who cannot acknowledge and recognize that the problem is him. He is an underachiever for the level of talent that he has. I was tweeting about this with Greg Anthony the other day. Greg Anthony made this point. He might as well be 6'5", if he's not going to do big guy stuff. And I keep telling y'all this, and y'all get mad at me for it. But this is the truth. If he's not going to do big guy stuff, there's no point in being seven feet tall. And that foul he committed on Jokic was just a giveaway. And we see so often, and again, it was so much foul trouble throughout the course of this game. By the eighth year of a guy's career, you should be able to depend on him, And they can't. And honestly, Edwards isn't a guy yet that you can depend on. He seems to be emerging and coming into that, into that space, but they don't have anybody on that team that you could depend on. And the guy you should be able to depend on is Carl Anthony Town. And they can't. Meanwhile, Denver was out there. Let's all go get it. Let's all go get it. So I'm sure they're disappointed they're going to have to go play the game five and that they had to go to overtime and everything else. But this is a wrap. You know this. I know this. It is a riggy riggy rap Suns clippers is a riggy riggy rap uh hawks celtics riggy riggy rap oh but we got some more series though spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days i've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so i can break these skinny allegations i keep getting Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. All right, Dan. Go ahead. Been waiting for it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Here we go. go. Nick's fan, how you feeling? They're up 3-1, though.
1: I still don't believe it. It's, un- <laughs> it's unbelievable. Like, I-, I felt like they were the better team after game one, and then game two shows up and they get spanked. And then they win game three and game four at home. Perfect weekend. Incredible. And Randall's been terrible. Quickly's been not great. But Jalen Brunson's the guy. He's been better than Mitchell. Mitchell was awful yesterday. Awful.
0: Yeah, Brunson's been that guy and that uh, salt and pepper comedy team of Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hartenstein. Although he's like light pepper, right? He's German. Yeah, I know he's German, but like I thought he was like GI German. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I've looked it up. Like when he when I first saw him, all all the st- all the box score was. I was trying to figure out if he looked more like an Isaiah or a Hartenstein. You know what I'm saying? I did. I did I'm with I, you. I'm I with did, you now. Yeah, I didn't really have a great answer on what it is, but I said this, and I don't know why I got pushed. Back. I mean, I know why I got pushed back on this, but this is the truth. Cleveland's going to have to trade either Jared Allen or Evan Mobley at some point, which means they're going to have to trade Jared Allen. Because they got tall man times too, And that is a regular season strategy that I believe is in line with having two small guards, a la Portland with Lillard and McCollum. But you can't have two of them, right? And they're just out there getting muscled. Like, that's the thing that the Knicks are doing to them is they are muscling those dudes. And that's what I think more than anything else. I mean, Garland and Mitchell, that's another one where you got to ask yourself the question about whether, like, what's your guard? Do they have a regular season roster? I think is the question that I'm asking about the Cavs: Is that a regular season roster? Because look, Donovan Mitchell, that's not a big guard, right? Like he's thick, but he's not tall. They don't—they got all that length in the front court. They don't have it in the back court, and so they got two guards, one of both of whom are listed at six one, and they don't have a playable small forward. Karis Lavert is not a small forward. They can put him out there, but they don't have a playable small forward. They don't have a big guard. What are we talking about here? Now, like Donovan Mitchell is as effective at getting buckets late in playoffs as any guard his size that you could really think of, right? Like outside of like the Steph Curry zone, but I feel like Steph Curry's taller than him. But the Knicks, I said this before. If Giannis can't get himself right, we got a real chance at the Knicks in the Eastern Conference Finals. It could happen. And man, the Garden is cracking. Cracking, cracking, cracking. Like this looks this I might have to see if I could get me a credential and actually go down there. I've been living here six years. I ain't done that once. Cause why? What I'm gonna go see. If I went to go see the other Knicks teams, Dolan would have never let me come back. There wouldn't have been nothing nice to say. You know what I'm saying? Like it'd have been a tough, it'd have been a tough go. It'd have been a tough go. It'd have been a real tough go. But we got that in the other media center of America. We have Dylan Brooks. Guys, did you see where Dylan Brooks said that the media has made Dylan Brooks into a villain? That's what he says. He says that we have made him into a villain. The softest thing I've ever heard anybody say. He just looked so soft and so weak while he was saying that. Oh, you're making it so that people don't like They don't like you already. They didn't. Coach K had to come up. I got to say, by the way, my bad, Coach K. That boy did need a lecture from you. Y'all remember that in the NCAA tournament when Coach K had to come over there and pull him to the side and be like, hey man, you too good to be kicking it like this. I don't know if he's too good to be kicking it like that, but Coach K's heart was in the right place and I don't say that all the time. But anyway, we may have made you into a villain, Dylan Brooks. It's possible. But we didn't make you an asshole. You made you an asshole you did that that's your call now whether asshole and villain are synonymous that's a matter of interpretation I suppose but that part is all you now I said something on Twitter where I made note that uh George Burke who just went to town on Dylan Brooks she has no love for his gang but she was saying look he doesn't bring your athleticism he doesn't bring you shooting and basically the Grizzlies are going to have a decision to make about what to do with him because I think his contract's up after this year you know whether you bring him back and she, I felt like she was saying that he was going to basically act his way off of the team. And my good buddy Chris Johnson rolled up, he asked me the question, he said, what exactly is Brooks doing that is a detriment to the team with his actions? And I think that that was a fair question, because just being a jerk isn't enough. I don't know whether the other guys are tired of it or whatever it is, right? I don't have the answer for that. But I do know this. While they were out there getting smoked early, Dylan Brooks, before he got ejected, Took 13 shots in 19 minutes. That's acting your way off the team. Right? Like that is the... That is getting high on your own supply kind of stuff. Because the problem with him is he shoots a lot, but he shoots poorly. He shot six threes a game this year. He's a 32% three-point shooter. He's a good defensive player, but he's not a great defensive player. He's an annoying defensive player. You're going to get up in your chest, all of that stuff. But... I don't know, I'm not sure how much he helps. And I don't feel like they're going to be able to be like a legitimate championship contending team with him playing big minutes. And I think that's something that they are fundamentally going to realize and then have to go some way to move on. But the Grizzlies just feel unserious to me. Is that a fair way to put it? Because, you know, last year I loved them. And there's still a lot of things that I really like about them as a team. But You remember how they played against Minnesota last year, and Minnesota just basically kept giving those games away. Like, that wasn't about, like, the Grizzlies dominating or just looking like the number two seed. They didn't. They looked like the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, The Lakers, I mean, they're better than I ever thought that they would be, but I'm not sure how great they are, but I know they're probably going to win this series. And there's no circumstance. I don't care Steven Adams being hurt, Brandon Clark being hurt, whatever it is. They should be able to win this series. And they just don't, like, they look so overwhelmed by that environment. Now, to be fair, it was a somewhat unique environment. Like, there's sometimes that you could just look at it before the game and be like, yeah, I don't think they're going to win this one, boys. And you could make an argument that this was one of those for the Grizzlies because it was the first legitimate home playoff game of the LeBron James era in Los Angeles. Like, the only other home playoff games they played were under pandemic seating rules. You know, like this was a bit different. And there was an energy there. And what was wild about it was, and I was asking Vinny about this because he was at the game. I've never seen that arena feel like angry. And it felt, at least from television, kind of angry. Like they like the Dylan Brooks thing. Like they 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 seemed like legit salty about that dude. But the Grizzlies gonna have, have Grizzlies are gonna have a lot, lot to figure out. Win or lose in the course of this series, they're gonna have a lot to figure out. And more and more, the West at once feels crapshooty. But when I look at that bottom half of the bracket, it also feels more and more to me like whoever wins out of Denver Phoenix is gonna win the West. And I don't feel great about what I've seen from Phoenix thus far um and they got the dudes we know that part but again we're just a lot of trust in Chris Paul that we talk about here and your friendly reminder I don't think those guys like each other very much like we saw it happen last year you see did you see where DeAndre Aiton threw the ball five feet over Chris Paul's head and then screamed at him to catch it DeAndre Ayton screaming at Chris Paul like they they whole situation Is weird. And so the thing to me is, and I think that Nick and I talked about this on here, I think Denver, the reason I think Denver will beat Phoenix is I don't think Phoenix has any answer for putting Jokic and Murray in that pick and roll with Chris Paul and Aiden. I think they can score every time down the floor doing that. And Denver is, you look at it, man, they're playing with a different confidence. Again, it's confidence you can have playing against the Minnesota Temple Wolves, but it's still a different confidence. And I also saw them Jokic plays where Jokic is like, all right, man, just give me the ball. It ain't going to look fancy, but I'm going to just bang my shoulder into these dudes' chests and dare them to do something. Right? Those things are happening. We're getting those. Like these, like I said, I've really, really enjoyed watching this postseason. I ain't said nothing really about Milwaukee, Miami, because I don't really know what to do with that, especially now that Jimmy Butler fell on his booty, and we don't know how he's going to be feeling as the rest of the series goes. I don't, I, I, okay, we'll see, right? Like, I I feel like I give that series a whole bunch of, eh, you know, we'll see. Now, before I go, I want to send a shout-out to Malcolm Brogdon. Did you boys see Malcolm Brogdon getting booed down there in Atlanta? Now, I didn't realize that Malcolm Brogdon was from Atlanta, but he is from Atlanta, and apparently he was asked something about, you know, the environment in the arena or whatever, Atlanta fans, and Malcolm Brogdon, who is, um, I want to say, in his 30s at this point, said that it's good to see, you know, things getting cracking around, the Hawks or whatever, but you know, when he was a kid, you had fans of the NBA, but you didn't really have Hawks fans in Atlanta like that was just what it was like people cared about basketball but they didn't really care about the Hawks and apparently the Hawks fans took that very very personally and been booing him all the time when he comes out there and all I got to say to those fans that are booing him is just say you knew here because nobody who knows nothing about back in the day had any problem with what Malcolm Brogdon said because what he said was 100 percent correct because a whole lot of us Checked out on February 24th, 1994, when somebody woke up and had the bright idea to trade Dominique for a couple months of Danny Manning. That's exactly what it was. Hawks been out there playing neutral site playoff games for the longest. Y'all know this. Y'all know this. They went out there and booed that man for telling the truth. Y'all the new generation. Way to get things better. But that he couldn't have possibly been more correct. He couldn't have. And we all know what it took. It just took for them to be able to get enough people who lived in proximity of the arena to buy tickets. Because the white people were not driving from way out, wherever it is that they live, to come watch the Hawks under any circumstance whatsoever. And I understand. Some of y'all hear me say that and like, oh, there you go making about race again. I'm going to just tell you this, Parker, Um, you did a little time in Atlanta in college. It was a horrible decision on your part. But, you know, yes, I did. But and yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, hey, like, I mean, I got this CAU hoodie all right now. I could have warned you about going to that other school. But anyway, uh, they talk about maybe trying to get the ho- a hockey team back. And they've tried hockey twice in Atlanta. But what they want to do this time is move the team north. Because the problem is, and, and look, this will work. I want to be clear about this. This will work. We've seen hockey work in Nashville. Um, we've seen hockey work in Raleigh. Um, and these are cities that don't really have the same metro area that we're talking about here. Um, hockey works in the south because it's violent. Like football on skates. You can make this happen okay it's worked in dallas you know we can go all these places you can make it work they just got to move they they, they got to move the mountain to mohammed i hope those people don't get mad at me for calling them mohammed but they got to move the mountain out there to them and it will work because they not drive it they not coming to atlanta atlanta to watch no hockey right they've learned a they lesson Parker, again, you are also from Miami. You saw Miami have to do the same thing. Now, that's a little bit different just because of the composition of Dade County because they will come down to watch other stuff in Dade, but they moved that team out there to Broward, out there to what? what, Sunrise, Coral Springs, one of those. Davie, I think, yeah. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Um, No, no, the Dolphins are in Davie. Dolphins are in Davie. They are in Sunrise. They put the arena in Sunrise. But they had to move the mountain out there. It's going to work. All I'm saying is the people that want to watch hockey live out there. The people who want to watch basketball don't want to watch it enough to drive down from Gwinnett County or wherever it is to come down. They just don't. They they wasn't even coming down there to see the Braves. The Braves. They'll do it for the Falcons because they only got to do it eight times a year. And it's on the weekend. Anyway, Malcolm Brogdon, you was right. Bo Jones care. Don't nobody else care. We know you can't be on top of all the news and information of the day. No need for the social media feeds. We got you. Now, if you haven't heard.
1: All right, this first story is from Lifestyle.
2: Hi, this is Sophia Ankel and I'm a reporter on Insiders News Team. Protests erupted in Kansas City, Missouri this week after a black teenager was shot and wounded when he mistakenly rang the wrong doorbell. 16-year-old Ralph Jarl went to pick up his younger brothers on the evening of April 13th but accidentally went to the wrong address his family have said he pressed the doorbell twice before the homeowner fired his handgun through the door shooting Ralph once in his head and once in his arm police said the teenager's family said he ran away and sought help in three nearby homes before someone finally offered him assistance Ralph is expected to make a full recovery which his attorneys have described as a miracle A GoFundMe page set up for him has raised almost $3.5 million as of Friday. The homeowner has since been identified by officials as 84-year-old Andrew Lester. Lester, who is white, has been charged with first-degree assault and armed criminal action. He pleaded not guilty on Wednesday. The pensioner told police that he was sleeping when he heard his doorbell ring and that he thought someone was trying to break into his house, according to court documents. The shooting has sparked protests and prompted several celebrities, including Kerry Washington, Halle Berry, and Questlove, to speak out. It is amongst a string of other census shootings that happened across the country this week. An average of 50 people die each day in the United States from non-suicide gun incidents, and roughly 100 are injured, according to data from the Gun Violence Archives.
0: All right. So... I think much of what there is to say about this story is fairly obvious, and you've heard it from a million people. And I do know that very often, under these circumstances, this is when people are like, Oh, Pomani, we want to hear from you. And I'm kind of like, yeah, Okay. Um, So every time Will Kane says something that y'all don't like, it winds up in my mentions, right? Because apparently, like, I'm the Will Kane slayer, as far as you guys are concerned. And there's a clip going around from Will basically saying that we don't know that this was racist. Okay. I'm going to throw something out here at you just for you to consider. I was on CNN, I want to say last week, talking about this story. And I made the point and I was just like, just let me know the story that you got about the time that a white person shot a white person under these circumstances. Or a black person shot a white person under these circumstances. And I'll be damned. In that week, I found examples of both. That cheerleader who um, you know, cheerleader got shot getting in the car thinking it was the Uber. And there's a story about a black dude shooting some white girl that was in his driveway. Like that happened in the same week. And I say that to say... It's hard for me to believe that this didn't have anything to do with race with Ralph Yarol, And the reason it's hard for me to believe is because the dude like went to get his gun, opened the door and then shot. Like he's hard to make the fear argument, all of that stuff, right? Like that's, that's a few too many conscious actions that wasn't, that was not simply a reaction, as we could say in some of these other stories that don't make those other stories defensible necessarily, but they do make them I believe substantively different, right So with will, he's not wrong in saying that we do not know definitively the role that race played in this. he's not. The problem is that's always what he care about. I just ain't never heard Will is bothered by actual racism as he is by the idea that somebody's mentioning racism too soon, right? He wants that to always go through in every way and we check off literally every possibility in the world before we get back to race on a matter like this. But on this one, I could see why somebody would say it's fair to chill out a little bit on the hypothesis. This is the reason why I would say that. And this is something, I don't remember if I said this explicitly when I talked about it on CNN, but this is a thing for me. People are afraid these days of who's knocking at their door. Like, and I have to be careful about this because I've been living in condo buildings and stuff like that for the last 10 years. So nobody knocks on my door anymore. Like, that just doesn't happen. But... I worked from home when I lived in Durham for 10 years, basically. And people knock on your door. It happens. I feel like when I was younger, people just knocked on your door. Like when you watch TV and old movies and, you know, knock, 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 somebody answers. Oh, I was just in the neighborhood or whatever. Those things happened. Like it may have been a little rude or whatever it is, but it wasn't so shocking that somebody knocked on your door. Think about in your life right now how you feel or how you react if somebody knocks on your door. Right, With all the technology we have, nobody's just knocking on your door without, hey, I'm on the way. Hey, I just went through the gate. Hey, I'm doing this. You know what I mean? But people, we are so terrified of our neighbors at this point that this young man in Kansas City got shot and ran to three houses and couldn't get anybody to let him in. Just passed out in somebody's yard because people were afraid to help him. Yeah, I get it. It's dark. Yeah, I get it. It's night. Are we really that afraid of each other? Like these people are in some little suburb in Kansas City that you move out to. So you ain't got to be afraid. And they still afraid of somebody knocking on their door. They're still afraid of these things. And so I am never going to be the we make too much about race thing because I think it's a reasonable question to ask about this one. And I do think it plays a role in it. But I do also think that if there's really a big macro one for this, and it is one that goes beyond what happened to that particular young man, it is how afraid of each other we are. Right? It is just how like what how quick people are to go to guns and how convinced people are that people think they need them. just how sure people are that they need to shoot somebody just in case. And that's what happened in this one. Right? Can't take no chances. We let the cops exist according to that. And we did the same thing as so many things. Like I say, these girls on a trip, cheerleading trip. Pull open the wrong car door. Bow. You know how easy that can happen to be in New York? Where they all driving the same black camry to do Uber? Now, granted, you ain't supposed to be riding around with no gun here, but you know how easy that can happen? Or these black, like these things can happen so easily for so many people. And we are just so scared thinking these guns make us so tough. Nope, you're just scared with a gun. All right, this next story comes from healthcare.
3: I'm Anya Zolajowski, and I'm a senior reporter with Vice News. This week, I wrote about the approximately 150,000 trans youth across the U.S. who are at risk of losing gender-affirming care, including access to puberty blockers and hormone replacement therapy. These stats are throwing many parents into panic mode, Here's the breakdown. Lawmakers in several states have introduced nearly 500 anti-trans bills this year, and at least 15 states have banned gender-affirming care for patients under 18. They often falsely equate such care to sterilization and castration, despite the fact that major medical associations, including the American Medical Association, endorse it as safe, effective, and critical. Also, surgery is very rarely performed on minors. Instead, puberty blockers and or hormones are typically prescribed after months of consultations between families, a team of medical professionals, and of course, the youth themselves. Studies show that LGBTQ youth are more at risk of mental health struggles, and gender affirming care as well as affirming parents can mitigate those risks. Multiple parents have told me they can't even begin to think about what would happen if their kids lost access to gender-affirming care. And while such care helps trans youth, the bans are making matters worse. Studies show that such bans add a burden of stress onto trans youth and their families, and it seems to only be getting worse. One mom of a trans kid from Alabama told me, if my son loses care, we will pack up what we have and go, but I would prefer not to do that. Somebody who doesn't know me or my child pulled that rug out from under us. It's a very scary thing.
0: So this is one of those where, to me, I think it is a reasonable hypothesis to say, hey, are you sure you want to do X, Y, and Z based on the word of a teenager? Right. Like I get the, I understand where people would be skeptical. Right. And I understand where people would raise the question of how far you go with someone under the age of majority. I see how you start with that question. But there are answers to that question. Right, And in that, what the reporter just gave you was plenty of answers to like the steps that are taken, the consultation, and everything else. This isn't just a matter of a kid waking up one day and being like, hey, I'd like to be a boy now. And they're being like, cool, let's go get you some boy pills. No, that's not what's going on here. And it seems that overwhelmingly you're getting more and more evidence and more word from the parents of these children and these children themselves about the importance of this to the point where these laws are just hateful and they're not they don't seem to me to exist to help the kids it seems to exist just to stop them from doing something but not to help them like i think you get the distinction here that's very very important i'm i don't think the people who are behind these laws are actually trying to protect these children and I think if I thought they were sincerely trying to protect them, you could view where they're coming from a lot more differently. However, once you go from their hypothesis to challenging it and getting to the answers and those people still feel in the way that they do on that side, you can't really make the argument that they are protecting these children or that their goal in this is to protect them. And the thing that just makes it so terrible for me is that because people aren't really... I think to get a lot of issues that surround trans people, you got to really put in some work to understand it. And I admit, I say this as a person who hasn't put in that much work to understand it, but feel like I got enough of an idea to handle some of these conversations. You got to really put in work to do it. And the people who need to put in the most work are the least motivated because they think they already got the answer because they got the answer when we was five years old and they told you, boy, got that, girl, got that. But... There's a lot of work that I think that people have to do to really conceptually grasp and understand what's going on here. What I don't think takes a lot of work is grasping the hell that rains upon many of these people just trying to live and the legitimate threats on their lives from simply existing that are out here day to day to day. So I just see this and I'm just like, I mean, you almost just want to be basic and be like, Doss, just stop being so mean. Because all of it just feels unnecessarily mean. And I feel like that's the most relatable way to put this. Um, there's serious consequences to the meanness, but fundamentally, it's just unnecessarily mean. This last story comes to us from Contraband.
4: Hi, this is Aaron Snodgrass, and I'm a news reporter with Insider. Italian police last weekend stumbled upon nearly two tons of cocaine floating in the Mediterranean Sea during a routine surveillance flight. Officials seized the more than $440 million worth of drugs that they found packaged in 70 waterproof bundles bobbing in the open water off the coast of Sicily. The packages were connected to a light-up signaling device via several nets that authorities believed to be a tracking mechanism. Police speculated that the drugs were dumped by a cargo ship, but intercepted by officials before traffickers could grab the packages and deliver them to the mainland. After successfully retrieving the drugs from the water, authorities tested the contents of the packages and determined the white pattern inside was indeed cocaine, according to a Monday statement from Italy's financial police. Officials said it was one of the largest ever drug seizures in the country, and the discovery comes just weeks after New Zealand police intercepted half a billion dollars worth of cocaine, enough to service the entire national market for 30 years, floating in the Pacific Ocean in February.
0: so what you tell your boss when that happened? You just lost half a billion dollars right there. Half a billion dollars. What, what do you tell your boss? So like at what point do you come looking for your cocaine and try to figure out how to get your hands back on your cocaine? Um, I know a story that someone tells. I won't divulge who it is, but that person is certainly listening. Um, And I think his mother is listening too, and she'll appreciate this story. So I knew somebody who his parents were out of town and someone brought over um, a flick. You know, teenagers, parents ain't there. They was watching flicks. But I think the flick got left in the VCR or something like that and the flick was then confiscated by the local authorities the parents but at some point uh the owner of the flick wanted his flick back and was like yo got to get got to get the flick back i am assuming that the owner of the flick had also boosted it from his parents given that circumstance but anyway in a um Hail Mary attempt to get to flick back. This young man came home and walked around and amongst his parents. Just threw it out there. Um, has anybody seen any pornographic movies around here? Can you do that with your cocaine? Hey, it's just one Anybody seen half a billion dollars of cocaine? No, it's not mine. I just thought it might have been here. Just wondering, you know. Like you come in and be like, hey. I had a bag and it fell out into the ocean. I was just wondering if it was in the lost and found. No, no, no. You got to charge that to the game. Somebody got to pay for that. Somebody got to pay for that. Like, you going to come back out to that. Well, we didn't find half a billion dollars of cocaine in the ocean, but we did find eight bodies. Hey, this is Bo Monty. You have reached the right time voicemail. Say whatever you want. Get creative with it. But this is your place to talk back to the show. So talk back. Peace. All
1: right. The voicemail topic for this week is tell us the story of the time you talked a little too much trash at pickup. This first story is from Kevin from the DMV. Hi, Bo. This is Kevin from the DMV. I was all of maybe 11 years old and planned a pickup at the park. Regular Saturday. I've always been a portly child, so I wasn't. Good, good, but, you know, set some screens, good defense, all that there. Today I caught fire, though, so obviously I'm feeling myself. I'm like my fifth mate shot in. I get to talk all types of mess to kids that are much bigger than me, at least five years older. I talk mess to the wrong dude. I, like, push the ball into his chest, real chest pass. He drops the ball. His face gets serious. He starts walking towards me, hits me with the meanest left hook in my entire life. I'm talking bloody mouth, tooth flew out, all types of crazy nonsense. I look at him, I look at my discarded tooth, I immediately made a business decision and decided to just go back home and enjoy the best day of basketball in my life that went bad.
0: Appreciate the show. Wow. Like that, I mean, that sounded painful. I don't, I don't know if I have anything else to add other than that sounded like it really hurt, yikes.
1: All right. This next one is from David from Michigan.
5: Hey, so this is David from Michigan. Uh, so my story—it's not really a pickup story. Uh, it's actually—it's close enough though. It's a—it's a track story. So uh, back when I was in college, I was like a sophomore in college. I uh, decided to challenge my younger sister in a race. Uh, the race are in the two hundred meters in the one hundred meters. So a little background. I had been training to be the drum major at my college, so I was in really good shape. I grew up playing baseball, but my sisters grew up running year round track. but like I said, I was in good shape because I had been uh taking the baseball mentality to train, so uh I was feeling really good about myself, probably in the best shape of my life so i uh I decided to to challenge my sister in the race when i when I went home for spring break, you know, and she was always fast she was a sprinter. But uh, little did I know that she had basically grown into one of the best uh, track athletes in the state at the time. And so, um, track challenger, uh, we go out to our high school field. Um, my friends came. My family came. Um, my, we're band nerds, so my friends, they played the national anthem on the clarinet and the trumpet, and they had signs. And uh, my sister decided, you know, she was going to do her makeup, so she did her makeup and then also put a bow in her hair. And uh, proceeded to destroy me. Uh, it was it was tough, you know. I remember doing the 200 and getting around that curve, going into the straightaway. Uh, I was ahead. And then uh, all I heard was cackling. And then uh, she was really far ahead of me after that. Uh, and uh, so I was like, you know, let's do the 100. You know, maybe I can get the quick start on her. I knew that was a hole in her game. But uh, that didn't matter either. So, um, hey, you know, I've been challenging her uh, for a rematch. Now that we're in our 30s, you know, maybe run the 50s. Uh, but she always declines. so uh, I guess I'll have to take this L to the bridge
0: <laughs> oh yeah no 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 that L's forever dog like once you start proposing other events now you really lost you ain't even like yo let's run this one again right two out of three nope 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 hold that L hold it tight alright and this last one is from Tate from California
6: hey yo money. first time long time Tate California Um, back in my college days Early 2000s, if you will, um, had a, a squad like to run with at an outdoor park near a college in Central California. Um, we were doing this for years, just loving life, having a great time. And uh we had one guy on our squad that could dunk. We had one guy that could just shoot the lights out. And we had those other three friends, me and my other fellas, that were just hangers-on. Um, my mouth got. A little ahead of me on a guy I was guarding that was a little bigger than me, but he just his shot wasn't falling. It just wasn't working for him, so I was taking credit. Uh, I should have known better because uh, he showed up to the game and what we can't call now as a wife beater, but a nice white tank top, some sweat shorts, and some Tims. Um, I was egging him on and poking and pecking. Uh, he, at the end of the game when they lost, uh, threw the ball at me. Uh, I avoided it, and then turned and went, I right, who next? He mumbled something and then left. Some dudes on the side of the court pointed out to us that uh, we might want to leave, and we were like, for who, for what? And uh, he came back with a uh, thang out of his car, <laughs> and uh, we all ran, and uh, let's just say pickup games ended at that place for the next month or so.
0: Thanks, guys. Enjoy. You might want to leave means you need to leave right now. My homie John, God rest his soul. Boy, I'll never forget that time I accidentally dunked into projects in Atlanta and he was like, yo, the game. we need to go. And we did. That is exactly what we did. We dipped when they told you you might want to leave. I don't know. I don't know why you. Lessons learned. Lessons learned. But hey, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this three times a week. Dance, dancing, and Parker Owens handling things behind the scenes. Thank you, gentlemen. Also, thank you to our If You Haven't Heard contributors. Thanks to Sophia Ankle of Insider. Check out her story about the Ralph Yall shooting on Insider.com. Thanks to our good friend Anya Advice, uh, Check out her story on gender-affirming care for minors being banned in several states at Vice.com. And thanks to Erin Snodgrass of Insider. Check out her story about two tons of cocaine being found on the coast of Italy at Insider.com remember follow the right time rate us review us give us five stars you only give us four stars i'm inclined to believe you are a hater we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days take it easy thanks for checking out the right time with bomani jones podcast
2: you can listen or follow on the espn app or wherever you listen to podcasts
0: the right time
4: with bomani jones